0: The Lord is risen, the Lord is risen, indeed. the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen, the Lord is risen indeed, Hallelujah. alleluia. So answer me this, why is it that the gospel writers and those who put together the lectionary begin with not the risen Jesus, but with an empty tomb? Why all this emphasis on the empty tomb? You ever thought about that? I mean, there's, Paul tells us 500 people who witnessed Jesus resurrected, rising from the dead, walking around, interacting with people. We know he met with the disciples. He met with Mary Magdalene. He met with so many. Why is it that we start with the empty tomb? Why back to that place? For this very reason. The New Testament writers want us to be without a shadow of a doubt, aware that jesus did not bypass death he did not escape death he did not resuscitate jesus died on the cross jesus died on the cross and he was physically buried but then on the third day he rose again The disciples, the New Testament writers, want us to know that Jesus was really dead so that we understand that he was really risen from the dead. This is not an ethereal resurrection. This is not a mystical resurrection. This is not resurrection thought or happy feelings. This is about Jesus who died and is now alive. Amen? Amen. And that is the reason why we begin at the tomb We're told that Peter goes to investigate for himself. Peter, who had walked with Jesus, who had lived with Jesus, but who did not yet understand that Jesus had said it and yet they couldn't grasp it, that he would fulfill all the scriptures and that he would come back to life after the third day. Peter goes and he examines the tomb for himself. And what does he find there? He finds grave clothes. That's an added little... Note that we get from his visit to the tomb. Why are the grave clothes important? Well, you see, if grave robbers came to steal the body of Jesus, they would have stolen Jesus with the the grave clothes on. If disciples had come to steal the body of Jesus, they would have stolen him with the grave clothes on. Only by the fact that Jesus was no longer there, that he was dead and raised from the dead, would the grave clothes remain Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the one to bring us back from our exile, our spiritual exile from God. We are far from God, but God had to come in the person of Jesus and physically die for us, taking the sin of the world upon himself, that when he rose from the dead, He might give us victory over sin. That is the reason why Peter can proclaim to Cornelius and his family in the second reading you heard, the second lesson from Acts chapter 10, that he has the power to forgive sins. Peter, we're told, is still full of doubt. Isn't that encouraging? If you come to resurrection morning, if you come to this Easter and, and you still are scratching your head and, and trying to understand how it is that people for over 2,000 years have held this idea that God became man, that he died for the sins of the world and that he was raised from the dead. Well, you're not alone. The first disciples were in that same company. And yet by the time we read Acts chapter 10, which happens a little while after the resurrection, Peter has been transformed, he's been changed. If you heard what was read by Jamie a little bit ago, you understand that, that, that Peter goes to proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus to Cornelius and his family. Cornelius was a, a, a Roman soldier, a centurion, an officer. And he's a God-fearer, he's somebody who seeks to be, um, a, live a righteous life he calls for peter and peter's changed why is peter changed well the new testament writers go on to remind us that that it is because of the resurrection of jesus christ because of christ's resurrection all those who believe in him are changed you see from the time that peter goes to examine the empty tomb to the time he goes to the house of cornelius Peter has encountered the risen Jesus. He has seen the one whom he had shared life with for three years, died on the cross, but now glorious raised, and it is transforming in the life of Peter. Are you a person who wishes you could throw off your old life? You, 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 you're a person who says, man, I wish I could start anew. I wish I could, could change my life. I don't like the direction I'm going in. I know I'm consumed with my own selfish thoughts and feelings and attitudes, and I've done so many things, and I'm just trapped in it. Well, I've got good news for you. Peter, the apostle, was just where you are, and yet he was set free by the resurrection as he encountered the living Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming upon him as he believed in Jesus who had been crucified and yet was raised from the dead, Peter was changed. The New Testament writers want us to make sure we know without, uncertain, un, without doubt that Christ's resurrection means that there is new life available to us. Not just bios life, not just biology, but zoe life, the life of God, it's life transforming. It doesn't mean it's automatic. It's not something that we do that happens to us and we passively just receive it. It is something that we have to step into, which is why as Paul talks about the resurrection in, in our, our, our other lesson this morning, Colossians 3, we see that Paul says, seek the things that are above, seated with Christ at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above we have to participate in it but because of Christ's resurrection we have the power of the Holy Spirit to effectively do that a few minutes it's going to be my privilege to baptize these children that are coming but let me just tell you I could spend all day talking about the adults that will be standing with these children and the transforming work of the resurrection in their lives. Where's Gail? I can't see you, Gail. There she is. About all the transforming work in the lives of these people. The resurrection, we are told and made clear, is not simply just about Jesus rising from the dead, but the Zoe life that he gives each of us who believe in him as a result of his resurrection. So Paul says rightly, seek The life of Christ, that self-giving love that we see displayed in the person of Christ is what God wants to give you to transform your life, to begin to understand that self-giving love, to know, as Jesus says, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's something that comes with the Zoe life in Christ. Set your minds on Jesus, Paul says, because of the power of the resurrection, Because of the power of the resurrection, we can begin to emulate the life of Jesus. We can begin to become more like him. Some of you are saying, are you kidding me? How could I become like Jesus? Believe me, it still shocks me to death every day that Christ is doing it in me. Because I was really good at pretending to be a follower of Jesus when in fact my heart had not been converted to Christ. But because Christ is in me, he begins to give me power to overcome my tendency to lose my control and my temper, to have thoughts that are less than holy and awesome towards other people, to begin to live a life of wanting to sacrifice myself for the needs of others. It is something that comes because of Jesus' resurrection. I want you to know that. I want you to hear that. The resurrection changes everything. This is why Paul will say, of course the scriptures were fulfilled that Christ would rise from the dead. When when Peter and the other gospel writers and the other New Testament writers say, of course it had to happen like this, it's not because they're pulling some random text from the Old Testament, but because they see that the work of God has always been leading to this culmination. God has to do it for us. We cannot do it for ourselves. But in Christ is death and resurrection, the power of that resurrection is available to us. It is what we pray will be effective and working in the lives of each of the children that we're going to be baptizing shortly. But thirdly, at the end of that Colossians, that very short Colossians passage, Paul talks about not only the present reality of the resurrection, but the future reality of the resurrection. The way he talks and Paul talks about the resurrection, he talks about Jesus being the first fruits. Jesus receives his glorified human body at the moment of the resurrection. That's why when, when the people encounter Jesus and you'll, if we go through the season of Easter, you'll, you'll read about those people. They will encounter Jesus and many of them will not recognize him at first. Even though they were his disciples, even Mary Magdalene, who loved and attended to his needs through his earthly ministry, they didn't recognize him. Why? Because Jesus has received a transformed physicality, N.T. Wright says. He's received a, a transformed body, not simply resuscitated, but changed. Jesus walks through walls, he appears in a room with people, and, and they don't know how he got into the room, and then he disappears. He's still Jesus. He still has a body, but it's transformed. Jesus, Paul says, is the first fruits of the bodily resurrection. But then the New Testament writers go on to say, but because Jesus is the first fruit, he's the deposit, he's the guarantee that when we die, we too will be raised to new life. Amen. This body is decaying. I was talking to... My dear brother and my son's father-in-law, Ross, last night, and we talked about how you get to a certain age and just getting out of bed starts to hurt. Why is that? It's like you're doing a squat just to get up. Maxime, it'll happen to you one day, I promise. One day, many years from now. This body is still affected by the, the power of sin and death, but yet we are guaranteed that there will be a glorified body for us when we wait, which is why Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. The third thing the resurrection speaks to us is that we have waiting for us a transformed physicality, a new body, renewed and glorified, just as Christ's body, is renewed and glorified. Friends, this and much, much more is what the resurrection means to us this morning. Are you getting the idea? Are you figuring it out? And that is what we're baptizing these children into this today. The outward baptism is the outward sign of the resurrection's work in us. It's work going on in us who believe in Jesus And that's what we're believing for these children. All but one of them is too young to make profession of Christ for themselves. But the church, since the very beginning, has always believed and has baptized children into the hope of the resurrection. Why? Because it is all about what Christ has done for us. Christ has died for Nova and Isabel and Kaylee and Cooper's sins. Christ rose from the dead that each of these children might have new life in Him, and so we baptize them into the promise of resurrection. As I said before, the adults that will be with them, their sponsors, their godparents, their parents, Christ's redeeming work has already been done in them. They're still works in progress. Make no mistake about it. But ask any of them of the power of Christ in their lives. Amen to change and to transform them. They're not yet what they will be, but they're no longer what they were. And it's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I wish we could just spend all day here in testimonies of these people's lives. We can't. I preach too long. You know that. But here we come. Here we come to the, to the opportunity for baptism for these that have come forward. Their parents will take vows on their behalf, except for Kaylee Garrett, who's old enough to speak for herself. The others will be, the parents will take vows. Each of these children will one day have to profess Jesus for themselves. They'll have to confirm that the vows and the prayers that are spoken over them, they believe and accept. Just like a Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day of life, he was in the covenant community until he chose to step out. So in baptism, these are set apart for Christ and we will actively work to teach them what it means to set their hearts on Christ and to seek after him. One last thing before I end. See, I'm not done. Acts 10, there's a, Man Cornelius, I've already mentioned him that Peter goes to. Peter, who's already been transformed by the resurrection, goes to Cornelius. Notice that in the scripture it says that that Cornelius is a godly man, that he seeks God. And yet, as Cornelius seeks God and God brings Peter to speak to him, his goodness, his righteousness is not enough. Peter speaks the gospel to Cornelius and says in order for you to be saved to be in this new life in Jesus you must believe on the one who was crucified and risen from the dead he says Peter says I now understand you Cornelius who are a Gentile you're not a Jew are acceptable to God that doesn't mean you're acceptable in and of yourself but that you are worthy to come before God we serve a God who is inclusive Everybody may come to God, but we must come, Peter goes on to say, through the person of Jesus Christ. We don't serve an exclusive Jesus who only loves and cares for all. We serve an inclusive Jesus who has come to die for the sins of the whole world, including those who think they are righteous, those who seek God. And that's true for Cornelius. We are all made acceptable, Cornelius, Peter, Paul, Mary Magdalene, all the disciples, these parents and godparents, we're all made acceptable only through the person of Jesus Christ. And Peter goes on to say... God has appointed him who was crucified and risen from the dead to be the judge of the entire world. But here's the good news. Though Jesus will judge each of us, he is also the one who has given his life that we might be justified. That's the best news of all. That he who will judge the world offers himself that we might be justified. Those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ... The question is, has salvation come to you? You as an individual person hearing me speak this morning. Have you encountered the risen Jesus? Has the Holy Spirit touched your heart and drawn you to Jesus? Has this Zoe life begun to work in you? The scriptures say that today is the day of salvation Jody and I were out thrifting which we like to do on Saturdays this is probably two, three years ago long before that little guy came into the world and we came across one of those chalkboard signs that you see it's called a before I die and there's a space you've seen that? And they have them out in public spaces. I saw one yesterday uh, down at the brewery. And, and, they, and you, you take your chalk and you fill in your answer. And they're all sort of various things. Before I die, I want to see the Grand Canyon or I want to skydive or, you know, all sorts of crazy things. And I remember going to that list, and Jody remembers this, and I wrote, I want to live long enough to see my grandchildren, know and love Christ. By the, my, by the grace of God, my kids know Christ. They know Jesus risen from the dead. But my heart's prayer is that I'll live long enough to see my grandchildren receive Christ. Know his Zoe life. Know his forgiveness. Know the resurrection power. Forgiveness for the past. Power for the present. Hope for the future. But just as I cried out that day, and as I wrote in the chalk that I would live long enough to see my kids know Jesus, the Father wants each of you to know Him as well. That is what we celebrate. There's so much more to say. We could never run out of ways to express it, but we have to conclude this time so we can get on with the baptism of these children. We offer to the Lord this opportunity just to rejoice, just to be awed and amazed and to take in, as those first disciples did, that Christ is not in the tomb, that he is risen. Christ the Lord is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia, alleluia. Come Holy Spirit, work among your people. Lord, may you continue just to draw us in to all that you are doing, the power of your resurrection, which is transforming us, those around us, and this world of decay and death. We say, come, Lord Jesus, and begin with me. Amen.